Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to coastaloakschurch.org. Now, grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. Thank you, church. I invite you to find a Bible now and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, or if you access your Bible on your smartphone or tablet, now's a good time for that. Ephesians chapter 3. A little bit about my family, who's obviously not here with me this morning. They're at our home church up in Louisville, Texas. But my wife Vanessa and I have been married for almost 20 years now. We have an 18-year-old son and a 14-year-old son. I know that I'm not old enough for that, but I look in the mirror every morning, and well, this is what I got to work with. So uh, anyway, I love them. Man, our kids are so amazing. They are, the, you know, I remember what I was like when I was a teenager, and I thank God that, that he chose to give me my sons instead of give me me, you know what I mean? So uh, I don't deserve them. I thank God for them, and uh, I'm sorry that they can't be with me uh, this morning, but I enjoy the fact that they're able to spend time with our church family as well and get plugged in. So I bring you greetings on my family's behalf and also on behalf of Dr. Jim Richards, who's our executive director, your executive director at the SBTC, and uh, the entire staff, and here's the number you've been waiting for, 2,668 other churches besides this one across the state of Texas who are pulling their resources and their relationships together through what's called the cooperative program so that they can reach Texas and impact the whole world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I know that sometimes in a pastorless season, it can feel like you're a little isolated and a little alone. And I'm here to tell you this morning, you are not. You have churches all over the state and all over the United States praying for you. They are for you. They love you. And they're partnering with you so that not just Rockport, but the entire United States and the whole world might know and call on the name of Jesus. Amen. It's also been my joy over the past few years to get to know your previous pastor, the has-been, Pastor Kevin. Uh, Man, I love that guy, and I know you do too, and you miss him like crazy. Mostly, we all miss Kelly, because we know that that's really why you kept Kevin around anyway. But um, man, I love him, love his heart for ministry. I've loved to see what God has done in him and through his leadership here at Coastal Oaks and Rockport over the past few years that I've known him. And uh, man, I thank God for Andy. You guys, Andy is a total rock star. I mean, he's amazing. And I don't just mean like on the stage with the electric guitar and, you know, when he's like whipping his hair around, like, wait a minute, he doesn't have hair. I mean, like more than that, like he's an administrative, gospel-centered rock star. This man does more things behind the scenes than you will ever know of him. And he is a gift to this church, and you're blessed to call him yours. So I hope you know that, and I hope you embrace it, and uh, I just wanted to share that with you as it began, uh, to say that I'm honored to be with you this morning. Oh, hold on. i got to pause. Okay. In the first service, I almost had to buy you a new pulpit. There we go. All right. So uh, Ephesians chapter 3. I'm going to share with you this passage of Scripture this morning and a, and a doctrine, a dogma of our faith that I'm, I'm pretty passionate about, and that is the mystery of the gospel in the wisdom of the church, which is like the longest sermon title ever. The ministry or the mystery of the gospel in the wisdom of the church. And we're going to see that in Ephesians chapter 3. Coastal Oaks, I mean, in case you've been like hiding under a rock somewhere, is searching for a pastor, 
right now. Coastal Oaks is searching for a pastor, and I know that things kind of, it's like you're, you know, you're, you're rolling fast downhill, you're, you're uh, picking up momentum, you're excited about what God's doing, the opportunities he gives you, and then it's like the pastor announces he's transitioning, and it feels like everything just goes, and stops. And I want to tell you that that doesn't have to be the case. In fact, if you don't hear me say, if you're a member of, of Coastal Oaks, you don't hear me say anything else today, then you probably need to hear this. A pastorless season does not need to be a passive season. Does that make sense? A pastorless season of the church doesn't have to be a passive season. You have work to do. In fact, you have a gospel to advance, a story to tell, a great commission to accomplish, and that will not wait for you to find a new pastor. There is a sense of urgency in this great commission. There's a sense of power in this great commission, and it belongs to you, the church, even as you search for the next man who you will call your pastor. So I want to take you to the mirror of God's word this morning and show you some things about yourself and show you some things about who this God is who has called you into his story in this generation, things that he's revealed to you and things that he is revealing through you, the mystery of the gospel in the wisdom of this church. Will you stand with me now if you're able just to honor the reading of God's word? Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible. Uh, If you don't have the same English translation, it may not use these same words, but it will sound a whole lot like this and mean the same thing. Ephesians chapter 3, beginning verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, you've heard, haven't you, about the administration of God's grace that he gave to me for you. The mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have briefly written above. By reading this, you're able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. This was not made known to people in other generations, as it is now revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. The Gentiles are co-heirs, members of the same body, partners in the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I was made a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace that was given to me by the working of his power. And here's verse 8. This grace was given to me, the least of all the saints, to proclaim to the Gentiles the incalculable riches of Christ and to shed light for all about the administration of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. This is so that God's multifaceted wisdom may now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavens. This is according to his eternal purpose accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. So then I ask you not to be discouraged over my afflictions on your behalf, for they are your glory. Father, we uh, come right now and, and trying to set aside all those other things that are floating through our minds, the things that our real enemy would use to distract us from the truth of your word in this moment. So find us here pausing for just a minute to invite you in, not just to the space of this room, but into the spaces of our hearts, God. Nobody in this room came here to hear a word from Tony Wolf. Lord, we're here to meet with you and to hear from you. And we're here saying that we believe that this is your word, that you penned and protected it and have preserved it for thousands of years now so that we can come into this room and hear from you by your word through the work of your Holy Spirit. We invite that. We long for it. God, we won't be satisfied with anything else. So in this moment, Lord, We ask that you would take your word through the work of your spirit, that you would show us, reveal to us the glories of the mystery of the gospel in the wisdom of your church. In Jesus' name, amen. 
can have a seat. Thank you. Now, there's a really neat sequence kind of to this text that I, I want to be true to. Uh, it's all leaning into verse 10. So this is like me giving you the end of the story before I tell you the beginning of the story. We're, all, we're heading to verse 10. So verses 1 through 9, the whole point that he writes this, the whole point that we're going through it is to get us to verse 10. Verses 1 through 9 exist so that verse 10 might happen in this church. So I'm giving you that. We're going to lean into it. It would be way too easy for me to pull out four or five little points of practicality for you. So instead... I just want to pull out a couple of key phrases and key words in verses 1 through 9 as we make our way to verse 10. And there are some deep, rich, theological, and practical truths in verses 1 through 9 that I don't want you to miss. So I invite you to take a pen and a piece of paper or maybe your phone, the notes section in your phone, and take some notes so that you don't miss what God has for you this morning. So the first thing I want you to notice is in verse 1 and in verse 7, I just want to pull out these words. In verse 1, you see the word prisoner. And then in verse 7, you see the word servant. So in verse 1, Paul says, I, the prisoner of Christ Jesus on your behalf. And then in verse 7, he says, I made a servant. That's the word diakonos, where we get our word deacon from, a servant of the gospel. A prisoner of Christ Jesus on your behalf and a servant of the gospel. Now, to understand this, maybe it'll help for us to get a, a kind of a bird's eye vantage point view of uh, the outline or the structure of the book. True to Pauline epistolary form, here's what you have here. In Ephesians chapter 1 and chapter 2, you have what's called orthodoxy, the right way to think. He spells out the gospel. He spells out the intricacies of our faith, our common faith in Christ Jesus in chapters 1 and 2. In chapters 4 through 6, Paul is going to walk through what's called orthopraxy, or the right way to live. So in chapters 1 and 2, he's telling you this is how you should think. In chapters 4 through 6, he's saying, now this is what you should do with what you believe. And chapter 3 is sandwiched in the middle here. It's a point of transition between Christian thought and Christian practice. And the way that Paul has chosen, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, the way that Paul has chosen to begin this transition in chapter 3, is this. I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus on your behalf. That's how he begins his transition. Now, Paul is so captivated with the glory of Christ and the beauty of the gospel message that he considers himself to be arrested in service to Christ Jesus. Paul is arrested by Christ. He brings out the prisoner language, and this makes us so uncomfortable. I mean, so uncomfortable. Here I am talking to you about, because you would tell me, but Tony, Galatians 5.1, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. And you would say, Jesus pulled out the scroll and read from the point in Isaiah where he said, I've come to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the poor, and all that is true in Christ Jesus. We are free from sin, death, and hell. But when you start talking about the burden, the obligation, the commitment of it all, it kind of makes us a bit uncomfortable. And it's not just chapter 3 in Ephesians that makes us uncomfortable. It's the Christian life because you know this very well. The Christian constantly lives in the tension between, between Christian thought and Christian practice. The Christian constantly lives in the tension between freedom in Christ and the obligation that we have toward one another. And so here's how Paul starts his transition. I think it's interesting that, that yes, we have freedom in Christ, and, and yes, we're obligated to our duty to righteousness and our duty to the gospel. And so as Paul is making this transition between Christian thought and Christian practice, he doubles down, not on the freedom language, but on the obligation of it all. 
the captivity that belongs to us in Christ Jesus, that we are constrained by this commitment to Christ. And so he doubles down on this and says, I, Paul, the prisoner of the Lord. Here's the thing. The Bible instructs us to live together in Christian community and to be wholeheartedly committed to this common mission, making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that Jesus has commanded, Matthew 28, 19, and 20. The Bible calls us to this radical commitment to the community of faith as we make disciples and propagate the gospel among the nations. But here's the thing with that. That's not normal. You're not going to find that anywhere else. You're not going to go to the golf club or to your workplace or to your social circle. You're not going to go there and find this kind of radical, relentless commitment to Christ and to one another. You won't find it. In fact, it is so unnatural among men that it must be the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit that calls us to this and empowers us within it. And so Paul, as he's talking through his transition, he starts, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus on your behalf, the servant of the gospel. And then in chapter four and verse one, he does it again. I, the prisoner of the Lord Jesus. This is how Paul starts his transition. Can I ask you, how are you starting this transition at Coastal Oaks? Do you share that kind of commitment to Christ and to one another? Listen, you need this church and this church needs you. I know that you have freedom. I know that you have freedom to worship in other places or to not worship at all. I know that you have freedom to, to wear whatever you want and to be as, as committed or, or not committed as you want to the church. I know that you have the freedom to do all things in Christ. All things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial. So Paul starts his, his chapter of transition the same way that we need to start this chapter of transition as a church body to be radically committed to this community of faith and to the gospel that it embodies and tells to the nations. I, Paul. I, Tony. I, your name here. Prisoner of Christ Jesus on your behalf. A servant of the gospel. And then he kind of goes on and, and, uh, and says some other things. The next word I want to pull out, remember, this isn't where we're headed. We're headed to verse 10. This is the sermon I'm not going to preach right now. I'm going to get to the sermon I'm going to preach. The word mystery here, the word mystery. Look at it in verses 3 through 5. This is so powerful. Verses 3 through 5. says, the mystery, that's the word. Write that down, highlight it, underline something. The mystery was made known to me by revelation as I've briefly written above. He must have been a Baptist preacher because it took him two chapters to write briefly. But anyway, briefly written above. By reading this, you are able to understand my insight into the, there it is again, mystery of Christ. This was not made known to people in other generations as it is now revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So this word mystery, when you look at the word mystery in the text of Scripture, I know because this is what it means in our dictionary, in our context, we think a mystery is something I can't possibly understand or I could never possibly comprehend, but that's not the biblical usage of the word. And it's detailed and explained as such here in our passage in verses 3 through 5. This word mystery means something different. Have you ever seen the old Old school cartoons of Scooby-Doo. You didn't know you were going to come hear a sermon about Scooby-Doo this morning, did you? I'm not talking about like the, 
heretical, reprobate, new movie versions. I'm talking about like the actual old school Scooby-Doo cartoons. Uh, man, they were so good. Um, uh, there, so there would be this problem, this monster or ghost like terrorizing the city, right? And they would call the junior detectives who would roll up in their van and uh, they would, they would uh, look for clues. They'd talk to people, do the interviews. And Fred would say, yep, gang, looks like we have another mystery on our hands. And Velma would agree, jinkies, Fred, looks like you're right. And then they would, they would start unraveling all these crews and, and put it together, and then they would finally, at the end of uh, the cartoon, the end of the episode, they would solve the mystery. They would unveil, pull off the bag or whatever off the head, and everybody would go, oh, wow, they're shocked because they thought it was actually a ghost or actually a monster, when all along it was some random guy who had this elaborate scheme to put a competitor's business out of business. At the beginning of the show, it looked like there was a real mystery. There was something unknowable and unsearchable, but at the end of the show, everybody understood what was really going on. And this is the biblical usage of the word mystery, something that was previously concealed, but now is completely revealed. And Paul says this is the mystery of the gospel. Previously, it was concealed, it was unsearchable and knowable, but now, in Christ Jesus, you have the ability to know and to live the mystery of Christ that's revealed in the gospel. So this is the biblical meaning of the word mystery. And then he's, he's saying that this is contained, this mystery is contained or delivered. Look at verse 2 and verse 9 in this word, the administration of the gospel. What in the world? The administration of the gospel. Listen to me. For thousands of years, Old Testament saints, people of faith, for thousands of years, they were looking forward to a day when God would send the chosen one, the Messiah, to, to end the curse, to put an end to sin, death, and hell, to deliver them from the power of sin and into the power of the kingdom. For thousands of years, they lived their lives looking forward to this moment when God would right the great wrongs of human sin, death, and hell. In Genesis chapter 3, when sin entered the world through mankind's disobedience, the woman sinned, the man sinned, and God pronounced judgment on the man and the woman and also on the serpent. And as he's pronouncing judgment on the serpent in Genesis 3 and verse 15, the woman and the man overhear him saying that he's going to put enmity, division between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. And one day that serpent is going to strike the heel of the woman's seed, but the woman's seed is going to stomp the head of the serpent. And so for thousands of years, follow this with me, for thousands of years, Every time a son was born to a daughter of Eve, they thought, is this the one? Is this the one? Is this the one who put an end to the curse? Is this the one God has promised to send to deliver us? Seth, is this the one? Enosh, is this the one? Kenan, is this the one? Mahalalel, is this the one? Jared, is this the one? Over and over and over again thinking, how would we even know? What would he look like, this chosen one? And how would he accomplish so great a salvation for us and for the entire human race? And then get this. Now God, out of his great love for us, has given Paul the grace. Did you catch this in the text? He's given Paul this gift of grace that he gets to be the one to shed light on, to illuminate the gospel, to point people to the Messiah, the long-awaited one who is going to end the curse to sin and deliver humanity from death and hell. <laughs> What a gift. What a gift for Paul and what a gift for us that we get to shed light on, to illuminate this gift of the gospel for all of those around us who are living in the darkness of sin and death and hell. 
And that leads us into the next word I want to pull out. Again, this is a sermon I'm not preaching yet. We're getting to the sermon I'm preaching. So the sermon I'm not preaching, the next is in verse 8 and 9. You see those words to illuminate or to shed light on the gospel. Look at verses 8 and 9 again. This grace was given to me, the least of all the saints, to proclaim to the Gentiles the incalculable riches of Christ and to shed light for all about the administration of the mystery hidden for ages in the one who created all things. What are we doing when we share the gospel? This simple message, this is the core message. If you're a guest this morning at Coastal Hoax, I'm so glad that you're here. This is my first time to actually be here with this family. I can tell you this is a special place. This is a really special place. If you're a guest or, or you're joining us online, I hope that you'll make your way here regularly more often because this is a place where you're going to be loved on. There's not a lot of judgment here. They're not looking for you to condemn you for something. They want you to walk side by side, shoulder to shoulder with them as they learn what it means and what it looks like to love Jesus more. What are we doing when we shed light on the gospel? This simple core message that belongs to Coastal Oaks and every other local community of faith, that Jesus died for your sin, that he rose from the dead, that he's coming again. If you turn away from your sin, trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. He'll forgive you. He'll cleanse you from your sin. He'll give you a future home in heaven and a life full of purpose and power right here while you wait. That's our message. That's who we are. Everything we do wraps around that message. What are we doing when we share that message? Well, the Bible says here, it's a task of illumination. We're lighting up dark places when we share the gospel. We're revealing something that was previously unknown or unseen. Now, listen to this. This is super important. Don't miss this. Because it's not like those people out there. We're talking about your friends and your family members and your coworkers and your social circle and your your grandparents and your children and your uncles and aunts and cousins. All of those people without Christ, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1 says they are dead in their sin. You, this morning, if you've gathered in this place or you're joining us online and there's not a moment in your life where you have made the conscious choice to trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you are, the Bible says, dead in sin. It's not like you're a pretty good person just trying to find your way through life. It's not like you're just blind, stumbling over things while you make your way through your timeline. No, you are dead in sin and there is no life apart from Christ. So when we share the gospel with someone, we tell them that simple news. We're turning the spotlight, not on their sin. We're turning the spotlight on the glory and the hope and the grace that's theirs if they only turn from sin and trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. (laughs) It's a task of illumination. You know, us being dead in our sin, in our trespasses. I mean, I was there before I came to faith in Jesus Christ. There's no life there. There's the appearance of life. It may feel like life, but ultimately there's no life there. As far as I know, the only thing worse than being dead is being dead and thinking you're alive. And you guys, church members at Coastal Oaks, this is your one message because sharing the gospel is a task of life-giving illumination. (laughs) The whole world lies in darkened ignorance of their own deadness in sin, death, and hell. If only someone would come, flick on the light, say, look at the glory of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Enter into eternal fellowship with him by turning away from your sin and becoming part of his eternal family. The point is, if people are going to come to know the gospel, you have to actually tell them. 
I know you can live a good life as a Christian. You can model faith in Christ. You can be the hands and feet of Jesus, and hopefully you're doing all of those things. But at some point, you have to actually open your mouth and share the gospel with them and invite them to respond. And this is not the task of only a pastor. This is the task of everyone who's been born into the family of God. Flick on the light. Share the gospel. By the way, there are 8 billion people in the world. Wrap your head around that with me for a minute. Eight billion people in the world. How is the gospel going to get to eight billion people? I'll be honest with you. I don't even have a context to understand that number. It's just like words on a piece of paper. I've never had eight billion anything in my life. So I did some research this week to bless your heart, and here it is. I'm going to help you understand eight billion. Ready for this? If you were to travel eight billion miles, then you could fly around the world 321,272 times. If you could save $100,000 a year, which is laughable, I know, but if you could hypothetically save $100,000 a year in your bank account, it would take you 80,000 years to save $8 billion. (laughs) If you could live for only 8 billion minutes, 8 billion minutes, then you would die at the young age of 15,221. Eight billion Coca-Colas ago. We're talking about production, rate of production. Eight billion Coca-Colas ago, it was last Wednesday. This is my favorite. You're going to love this especially with our politically charged climate right now. At the rate at which the U.S. government currently spends money, $8 billion ago was 3 o'clock yesterday afternoon. And if you saved $100,000 a year for 80,000 years, then you could pay back the last 24 hours. That would be incredible, wouldn't it? $8 billion. Man, how is the light of the gospel going to reach 8 billion people in this generation. And that's why all of this has led us to verse 10. God has a plan. God has one plan. That the gospel of Jesus Christ might reach 8 billion people in this generation before it's too late. In verse 10, we see God's multifaceted wisdom put on display in the church. Look at verse 10. This is so that God's multifaceted wisdom may now be known, what? Through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavens. God's multifaceted wisdom, manifold wisdom, put on display through the church. Let me say this unequivocally. Let me say it uh, without qualification because I want you to hear this very clear. I believe in the church. I believe in this church. Not because we have it all together. You don't. I love you. If you're joining us online and you're looking for the perfect church, don't join this one. Doesn't exist. I believe in the church not because we have it all together. I believe in the church not because of our capability, but because of God's credibility. He only has one plan to propagate the gospel among the nations, and that one plan is you. That's it. 
And he doesn't need another plan because he's empowered you with his spirit. He's gifted you with his word and he sent you out on his mission. You are God's plan to take the name and the fame of King Jesus around the corner and across the globe. This is who you are at Coastal Oaks Rockport. Don't let, coaches time out, don't let anything else set the agenda at Coastal Oaks during this transition. Don't let anything else set the agenda for this church while you're looking for a pastor. You make this your number one priority because this is why God has called you who you are. Take the gospel to your friends. Take the gospel to your neighbors. Take the gospel to your coworkers. Shed light on it for them and invite them out of darkness into the glory of the Son, the King. Make this your agenda. Let nothing else take its place. And here's what I love about this because when a church faithfully, consistently uh, proclaims the gospel, faithfully, consistently embodies this message and speaks it to people, something amazing happens. God holds up his church to display how infinitely and manifoldly wise he is. The church. That's what we saw in, in verse 10. This word, this manifold word, his manifold wisdom or multifaceted wisdom, that's the word polypoikolos, which is the word you would use for many colors. His many-colored wisdom. God, when he says, I want to display how infinitely and manifoldly wise I am to the angels of heaven and the demons of hell, I'm going to pull the church together and hang it on the walls in the heavenly places, and I'm going to say, look at this. Look at Coastal Oaks Rockport, and you'll see how infinitely wise I am. We're like God's refrigerator art. I told you my kids are older now, but they used to be cute. And they used to draw these pictures, right? You know, three, four, five years old. They would draw these pictures, and it'd be so colorful. There's like color. It looks like a box of crayons threw up on a piece of paper. You know, like all this color everywhere. And, uh, and then they would bring it to me, and they'd say, Daddy, Daddy, look what I drew. And what would I do? I'd be like, oh, it's so beautiful. I love it. Look how colorful it is. Oh, I like what you did here and did there. This is wonderful. What is it? And of course, the master artist would tell me all about it. This is you and me and mommy and Bubba and our dog. And here's our house. And here's the sunshine and the grass and the water. And I'd be like, oh, of course it is. Oh, my goodness, so beautiful. And what did I do with it? Put it on the refrigerator. And every time somebody would come in, they'd look at that. And they'd be like, what box of crayons threw up on that piece of paper? And I would say, don't talk about my son's masterpiece like that. Can't you see? This is me and mommy and him and Bubba and the dog and the grass and the sunshine and the water. Can't you see? It's a beautiful masterpiece. See, what I saw when I looked at that piece of paper may not have been so wise and so beautiful, but the master artist knew exactly what he had drawn. And you guys at Coastal Oaks Rockport, I know, man, I know. I know that it's tempting to look at this church, especially in a pastorless season, and see all of her faults and see all of her problems, take account of what you don't have. I get that. But God chooses to take this church, paint it as a picture, and hang it on the walls in the heavenly places. And when the demons of hell or the angels of heaven want to see how manifoldly wise he is, God points to you and says, look at Coastal Oaks. And you'll see my wisdom. Look at Coastal Oaks and you'll see just how infinitely and manifoldly wise God is. And I want you to see that in your church. Can't you see now, while we were all leaning to verse 10, can't you see how powerful and important this message is to you, not just in a pastorless season, but in any season? 
That when the church embodies and carefully and consistently communicates the gospel message, when you don't get sidetracked by all these ancillary things and you keep the main thing, the main thing, and you're constantly winning people to Jesus, baptizing them into the body of faith and assimilating them into the church life, man, God is holding up Coastal Oaks and saying, this is how infinitely wise I am. Oh, God. That he would comprise his church of people of different generations, people of different ethnicities, people who speak different languages, people who like different styles of music, left-side people and right-side people, King James people and NIV people. And he would put all these people together in one body and say, look at this. My manifold, multifaceted, many-colored wisdom coming together at Coastal Oaks Rockport. As long as you keep the main thing, the main thing. One last thing, and I'm done. I know you've been waiting for this moment. All of this is according to God's eternal purpose. All of this. How much of this? All of this is according to God's eternal purpose. Look with me in verse 11. Verse 11 says exactly these words. This is according to his eternal purpose, accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Can I tell you, I know you've been through Hurricane Harvey. My first time to be on campus here at Rockport was about five days after Hurricane Harvey. Just came through, we had a church group, I was visiting them, met Pastor Kevin, watched the administrative genius of Andy at work. And I thought, wow, this church gets it. You know, Hurricane Harvey wasn't a mistake for you. It didn't catch God by surprise. It opens doors that had never been opened to you before. Hurricane Harvey, a pastorless season, COVID. None of this, none of this has been by accident. Not, God's not pacing around the floors of heaven thinking, what am I going to do now? A hurricane's come through. What am I going to do now? COVID-19. What am I going to do now? Mask or no mask? What am I going to do? I don't know. There's no pastor at Coastal Oaks. What in the world are we going to do? God's not pacing around the floors of heaven. All of this is according to his eternal purpose accomplished in Christ Jesus. None of this is by accident. All of it's on purpose. We have a tendency to think that history is cyclical sometimes, right? That's why you kept your bell bottoms from the 70s. You keep saying, they're coming back, they're coming back. Coming back. Some people think that history is like a pendulum, right? Right? Like every four or eight years, Republican, Democrat, Republican. It's like we just keep pendulum back and forth. But history is not cyclical. History is not a pendulum. History is linear. It's headed somewhere. Human history began within the beginning, God, and it will end with even so come Lord Jesus. And right now in the middle, God has invited you into his grand redemptive story if you will only keep this main thing the main thing. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Your church, your church may be more than that at times with your activities and your schedules, but it will never be less than this. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the foundational element of this church, and it belongs not just to your outgoing pastor or your incoming pastor. It belongs to you. And it's your joy, not just your responsibility. Your joy. It's God's grace gifted to you that you might illuminate the darkness in the people that God has put in your social circle. As we come to a close, I want to share this message with you one more time. Whether you're joining us online or live here on campus, listen to this. I know you may have taken a nap for the last 10 minutes or so. Wake up now. This is important. It's the best message I've got. And it's the core message of this church family. This is what they want you to know. 
that whoever you are and whatever walk of life you've come from, whatever junk you bring with you to this gathering right now, there is a God in heaven who made you in his image and after his likeness. And he has a plan and a purpose for your life that's so much bigger and so much better than anything you could ever possibly dream up for yourself. You, just the way you are, are beautiful by design and you are designed for a beautiful purpose. But your problem is the same as mine. Every one of us, given the opportunity, has gone our own way instead of going God's way. The Bible calls that sin. Missing the mark. God is perfect and holy and just and righteous and pure and I'm so far from that. But knowing this, God made a way for sinful people like you and me to be cleansed and forgiven from sin and made fit for heaven. He did that in the person of Jesus Christ. The Bible calls him, get this, Emmanuel, God with us, God in the flesh. Jesus entered human history through the womb of a human virgin. He lived the perfect sinless life that you and I could never live. He stretched out his arms on the cross of Calvary to bridge the gap between your sinfulness and God's holiness where he died, enduring the full weight of God's wrath against your sin and mind he was buried in a borrowed tomb and he rose from the dead on the third day history confirms this he's coming again it's this message this message that is the core of coastal oaks it's the core of the bible it's the core of my life i don't have a better message than that and i never will because that message means that you just the way you are here on campus or online you can actually call out to this god who listens right now. And you can turn from your sin, place your faith in Jesus Christ, and be forgiven and made fit for heaven.